0: Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here.
1: And welcome to the August edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Monica Bay, editor-in-chief of ALM's Law Technology News. Um, We have a very timely program today. And uh, for those of you who are listening to it before the American Bar Association's annual meeting, it will be especially timely. And for those of you who are listening afterwards, we hope it will be educational as well. Um, We have three guests this morning. We're going to start with Mike Arkfeld and John Barquette. And then after the break, we will be joined by one of Legal Talk Network's best Hosts, my colleague Bob Ambrosi, who writes our web watch column for LTN. Before we get rolling, a couple quick notes. As always, I want to remind you that there are three places you can find this podcast. You can find it at the Legal Talk Network which is of course legaltalknetwork.com. You can find it on ALM site at lawtechnologynow.com. And as I always say because we're so cool we're in the iPod library. And a quick thank you to our sponsors App River. Find out more about them at appriver.com and PC Law by LexisNexis. You can find them at pclaw.com/ slash Radio. Uh, Let's start off the program by asking Mike Arkfeld and John Barkett to uh, give us a little bit about who they are. Um, John, why don't you start? Sure.
2: Uh, I'm a partner in the Miami office of Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. And uh, I'm a litigator historically, and in the last few years, I've spent a lot of time as a neutral uh, special master, arbitrator, and mediator. I also teach e-discovery at the University of Miami Law School as an adjunct faculty member, and um, I'm started just recently started a three-year term on the Civil Rules Advisory
1: Committee. Terrific, and Mike Arkfeld from Phoenix, tell us a little bit about you.
3: Thank you, Monica. My name is Michael Arkfeld. I was a trial litigator for about 30 years, and six years ago, kind of converted over the row as an educator. I've written a book called Arkfeld on Electronic Discovery and Evidence, and I do a lot of teaching, and now I'm affiliated with Arizona State University and their e-discovery
1: program. And Michael has been a long time and very, very helpful member of LTN's editorial advisory board, for which I totally thank you. So, the American Bar Association has set up a group that has been taking a look at the canons of ethics, and there are some issues coming before the ABA's House of Delegates in the first week of. August and uh John start us off and tell us a little bit about this commission and why the legal technology community is keeping an eye out on the proposals that will be before the house. Well, it's
2: referred to as the 2020 Commission and it was appointed by uh the ABA president in 2009 to conduct a review of uh the model rules of professional conduct you referred to canons which is a term that I love but the canons uh, which were adopted uh, over 100 years ago, were replaced by the model rules quite a while ago. Um, and one of their challenges was to deal with changes in technology and to look at the rules to evaluate uh, how the rules might be modified to address a uh, lawyer's obligations at the intersection between law and technology. And they've had, they have several proposals which will go before the House of Delegates uh, in the second week of uh, or first full week of August for consideration.
1: And uh, what is the impact and why do our, does our community care about the ABA addressing these? Are they, you know, for some of our perhaps younger uh, lawyers and listeners who might not understand the dynamics, how is what the ABA does um, influential on what the states and the federal operations do?
2: Well, 49 states have adopted the model rules of professional conduct, and and, and the District of Columbia, uh, California, has its own set of rules. And what typically happens is the ABA takes the lead by publishing a change to the model rules, and then the state bar associations follow up uh, evaluating the change. And more often than not, we'll adopt either the identical change or a very similar change to state bar rules. So whatever happens next month, we'll start to Um, permeate the states in the coming years.
1: And if I recall correctly from both of your articles, which appeared in Law Technology News, um, there are three proposals going at this session, and then there'll be another three coming up uh, in a future session. Um, Michael, why don't you start us off by talking about some of these proposed changes, and we'll discuss a couple of them and why they are important. Uh,
3: initially, what's, what's occurred on the 2020 Commission is that they've actually submitted six resolutions to the AB House of Delegates for consideration in August. A uh, second set of resolutions will be submitted for reconsideration or for consideration in 2013. Uh, the six that have been submitted this time are Technology Confidentiality, Technology and client development, outsourcing, practice, pending admission, admission by motion, and Model Rule One Point Six: Detection of Conflicts of Interest. So they brought they've divided it up into two specific areas.
1: And uh, let's go through the ones that are coming up uh, this August. Uh, John, you want to start us off with with uh, the first one? Well, I'll
2: talk about technology and and. um competence, if that's okay. Go uh, for it. Model Rule 1.1 1. 1 is a rule that hopefully should be familiar to all lawyers, young or old, uh, or older, as I should say, now that I'm old. Um, but it requires lawyers to provide competent representation to a client. And the the comment to Rule 1.1 1. 1 is going to be modified. The current rule says that lawyers are obliged to keep abreast of changes in the law and its practice. And that text is going to have uh, some additional language uh, to say that when a lawyer keeps abreast of changes in the law and its practice, that has to include the benefits and risks associated with uh, technology. Um, what, what does that mean? Uh, well, I, I guess we'll all have to see as we start to evaluate ethics opinions going forward. But I, I would assume that it means that lawyers who deal with uh, service providers, uh, say in the e-discovery arena, uh, search technology, data storage, data security, cloud computing, uh, and the like, Uh, we'll have to make sure that the lawyer understands, uh, to be competent that the lawyer understands exactly uh, what the lawyer is getting uh, in order to best serve the lawyer's clients.
1: And why is this important in both of your opinions? John, you want to start us again?
2: Sure. The the um, we we can't ignore technology in the law. I, I don't think I've seen a lawyer out there who doesn't have either uh, a BlackBerry or an Android device or an iPhone device. So lawyers are using technology all the time, and um, we'll talk about confidentiality in, in a second. But uh, but plainly, that's one of the sacred areas for lawyers and clients is to maintain client confidences. Uh, technology uh, isn't as secure as dealing with somebody on a landline and keeping all your files uh, under lock and key in your office. Uh, and so the ABA was concerned, and I think all lawyers are concerned, about making sure that lawyers start paying attention to technological risk uh, vis-a-vis lawyers' duties uh, to clients.
1: Michael, what are your thoughts on that? And, and of the of the six, I was wrong when I said three, Are going up. Which ones do you think are the most important?
3: Um, All of them are important, but I would like to just add a few comments to what uh, John has spoken about in terms of competency. Over the last, um, and when I started writing in nineteen, geez, nineteen ninety one, about some of these areas regarding applications at law office, I would oftentimes go to all the states and try to look for any ethical opinions dealing with email. Um, anything of that nature regarding confidentiality or anything pertaining to the practice of law and ethics, there was just a dearth of material. And as John mentioned, that comment has changed now in terms of um, you have to be aware of the benefits and the risk associated with relevant, relevant technology relating to your practice. So that's going to encompass every area of the practice of law. And for me, that those words are a game-changer for two reasons. One is, it's the first time it's been put into print that pe- that lawyers to remain competent, happy where the benefits and risks associated with relevant technology. And the second was, in that comment, they said, we want to make this clear this is merely a reminder to you of what, you, of what your competency requirements are. This is not new. This is, you should. They said you should always have been aware of the technological issues facing the practice of law. And I think that, um, that in itself is a game changer, um, in, you know, it's going to impact so many different areas. For instance, um, it's going to be regarding communication. I mean, legal and practice tools, templates, forms of legal documents, Westlaw, Lexis, Pacer, Google communication, means of communication, uh, email, a variety of things. And so, from my perspective, these rules are not getting much play. In fact, if you go to the ABA website and look at their ABA journal, they have an article devoted to it, but they actually do not cover anything about e-discovery there. Yet those are mentioned prominently in the proposals before the ABA. Uh, I just don't think, in my experience with lawyers across country, teaching them, training them, instructing, uh, less than half percent or one percent of lawyers across the world, in my anecdotal analysis, are competent in the area of technology and the practice of law. Can I
2: pick up on that too monica the One of the other changes is going to be to model rule five point three, which addresses the supervision of non lawyer service providers um and the the rule uh requires lawyers uh, right now the rule requires lawyers to make reasonable efforts to ensure that the lawyer has in effect measures giving reasonable assurance that's text from the rule, that the third party engages in conduct that is, quote, compatible with the professional obligations of the lawyer. And so what will happen under the change to the comment is, is that lawyers are supposed to consider the education experience and reputation of the service provider, the nature of the services, the terms of the engagement, especially those regarding data security, and where the third party servers might be located because that could affect uh whether the information is protected from uh third parties but to pick up on Michael's comment about uh ethics ethics opinions we've seen now an explosion of ethics opinions in the past year and a half on the use of cloud uh computing storage uh the ABA has an opinion out uh Pennsylvania opinion 2011-200 North Carolina 2011 formal opinion number 6 the Oregon Bar Ethics Opinion 2011-188 from last November, uh, all dealing with this area. So perhaps the ABA is playing a little bit of catch-up here, but because the ethics opinions are starting to focus on some of the technological questions that lawyers are posing to state bar uh, ethics opinion writers as technology plays bigger and bigger role in the practice of law.
1: And we sadly, are running out of time. But but before we close, um, I'd like each of you, if you would, to answer this question, which is, what do the lawyers and our other legal professionals who are involved with the discovery right now, what's the most important thing that they need to come away with from these new proposals? And do you have any advice that you would want to give to folks who are interested in this area uh, about going forward successfully. Uh, John, let's start with you. Well,
2: one of the other changes is a uh, change the Model Rule 1.6, which now is going to require lawyers to make reasonable efforts to prevent inadvertent or unauthorized disclosure of or unauthorized access to confidential client information. So if you're engaged in e-discovery in a lawsuit, uh, and particularly in federal court, you you need to have a an order entered under Federal Rule of Evidence 502D, which insulates a document that's privileged or work product protected that happens to be inadvertently produced, uh, insulates that document from a waiver claim. So uh, one of the ways I think to comply with the new ethics rule is to follow a good litigation practice and have a 502D order entered.
1: And John, if, if one of our listeners wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you?
2: Uh, email J-B-A-R-K-E-T-T at S-H-B, shakardi Bacon, S-H-B dot com.
1: And Michael, uh, in your article, you t- you uh, talked about how you felt that a lot of these proposals are, are great, but too little too late. Um, I'm going to pose the same question to you. I just asked John, what should our listeners take away from this? And what do you think is the most important thing for them to look, Forward to and be aware of.
3: Um, and part of that article is too little, too late. I've, uh, like I mentioned before, the instruction that I've had with most counsel across the country and, and the students I have, and whether it's law, large law firms or small large firms, and that is, there's just a lack of knowledge. And actually, the proposals start talking about the necessity for lawyers to understand how ESI is stored, uh, created, and deleted. And that in and of itself is just completely, uh, not completely, but just about lacking in most attorneys' knowledge. And so if you're going to be involved in e-discovery, you need to begin to understand technological issues of that ESI, not only as it pertains to e-discovery, but as it pertains to communications. Because now when you buy an iPad, they say, well, back it up on the iCloud, we'll do it automatically, we'll set it up. And all of a sudden, all your data on the iPad is going up to the iCloud, well, there's whole issues there about who runs the iCloud, who has access to it, attorney confidentiality. Maybe we should just go to the point and say all communications have to be encrypted. Um, I don't, I'm not a big proponent of this pace of bewildering change. And the reason I say that is because since 85, over 25 years now, we've been going through this change. And whether it's the ABA or any other ethics body, I don't think we've kept up at all. I would definitely propose having mandatory CLE ethical training and e-discovery communications and a variety of these things because the confidentiality of lawyer communications and other things is being jeopardized today, as well as the voluminous sanctions being issued by the courts in um, many sanctions in e-discovery matters because attorneys do not understand where ESI is stored, created, or located.
1: Well, Michael Arkfeld, that was fantastic. And and uh, if folks wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way?
3: Uh, it's michael at arkfeld.com, my email.
1: And that's A-R-K-F-E-L-D? Yes, thank you. And I feel like we only just the most slightest bite of the proverbial iceberg, but hopefully we have whetted our audience's appetite on this. If you want more from Michael and John, uh, you can find both of their recent articles at our website, www.lawtechnologynews.com. And now we're going to take a quick break uh, to get a word from our sponsors before we uh, bring in Bob Ambrosi. So uh, I'm going to turn you over to the folks at App River and PC Law by LexisNexis. We'll be right back.
0: Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today.
4: Protect your firm's email with River. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CipherPost Pro email encryption service. With CipherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time and you get a 30-day free trial, all backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's River.com, or call 866 223 Four
0: We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com.
4: Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781 551 9960. That's 781 551 9960, or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now.
1: Again, special thanks to our two sponsors, App River and PC Law by LexisNexis. my next guest is a very familiar voice to those of you in the land of the Legal Talk Network and those of you who are fans of his Web Watch column in Law Technology News. Drumroll, please, for Robert Bob Ambrosi. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. And, and it's just in case there might be one person on the planet who doesn't know about you, uh, tell tell our audience just a little bit about you and what you do in your practice and on LTN and the Legal Talk Network.
5: Well, thanks, Monica. It's nice to be here. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I practice uh, in Massachusetts. I practice in the area of media law and technology law and uh, Work with newspapers and media organizations. I uh, have been uh, writing about uh, the internet and uh, practice on the internet uh, for a long, long time. Writing for you for WebWatch uh, for a long time—fourteen uh, years. Yeah, is it? Has it been fourteen yes, years? Yes, wow. it has. You were in my Amazing, very first issue. Amazing, given that I'm only thirty. <laughs>
1: You were in our very, my very first issue as editor, and Bob, in the current issue, the August issue of Law Technology News, your column Web Watch addressed mischief and malaise, uh, talking about the ABA's ethics uh, requirements. We just in the prior segment had a wonderful conversation with Michael Arkfeld and John Barquette about the ABA pending rules. Which, if you're listening to this podcast in early August, is coming up. And if you're listening later, August just happened. So what I'd like to do is dive into because the because our um, Arkfeld and Barquette did a great job talking about what's coming up. I'd love to dive into with you, the thorny area of social media, and your article gives a slew of tips, in fact, 10 of them on how lawyers can be mindful of the ethics issues that come up when they're dealing with social media. So let's go through that, if you, if you will. What's the most important thing that lawyers need to remember uh, when they're diving into the youthful world of blogs, social networks, Twitter, and the like? Well, if I
5: had to wrap up the uh, most important thing about uh, ethics and social media, it would be to use common sense. Uh, I think lawyers, uh, you know, the the rules, uh, the same rules apply to uh, social media as apply to any other ethics situation. Uh, I know you just talked about the ABA 2020 Commission. They're going to be looking at this, but uh, so far the rules haven't changed. Uh, But lawyers need to use
1: common sense about what they say and what they
5: do online.
1: And are any of the pending proposals particularly relevant to social media?
5: Well, I think the most important, you know, a number of them address social media in one way or another. I I think the most important of the ABA uh, pending proposals is the one that says uh, that lawyers need to be competent in technology. Uh, I think the ABA has recognized that competence in the law, competence in practice management uh, alone aren't enough uh, these days, that a lawyer, in order to represent clients properly, in order to protect clients properly, uh, really needs to understand legal technology, and that encompasses social media.
1: So, for example, if they're doing a case where part of the the dispute resolves around Twitter posts or Facebook, they better know... Not just what it is, but what the ramifications are of it. Correct? Exactly how
5: it works. Uh, you know, just data storage. I mean, you know, it used to be lawyers stored all their all their data. Uh, w- yeah, well, there wasn't data; it was paper, right? We had piles of paper on our desk and file cabinets full of uh, files. Uh, and now so much uh, of our data is stored digitally and not just even in a a single location, some in the cloud, some on a device, uh, some on our mobile device, some on a computer. And and you need to understand how these technologies work in order to be sure that you are uh, not compromising uh, the security or the confidentiality of your client files.
1: Now, in your article, you talk about not, why it's so important not to inadvertently betray client confidences. How can that come up in a social media situation?
5: Well, in the article, I, I reference uh, what has really become kind of a a, a poster case for this issue. Uh, it's a, a a former Illinois uh, public defender who uh, was blogging about her cases. Uh, she She thought she was blogging anonymously. She was not identifying clients by name. She was trying to uh, uh, keep details uh, out of her blog posts. Uh, and yet uh, the, the Illinois Bar determined that she was providing enough detail in her blog posts that someone familiar with uh, the, the client or, or the matter could identify what she was talking about. And uh, she actually ended up getting suspended uh, for 60 days over her blog posts. Uh I think it may be the only case I know of uh, that a lawyer has actually been suspended from practice for uh, the content of their blog posts at this point.
1: And you also caution folks to be careful about inadvertently forming an attorney-client relationship um, and also to steer clear of unauthorized practice. Uh, give us a few uh, comments on that. Yeah,
5: and this is actually something that the uh, the ABA uh the Ethics 2020 Commission does, it, does address in their recommendations. But uh, there's a lot of fear about this uh, among lawyers, I think. There, there's a sense that if they, uh, you know, a number of websites now encourage uh, Q&A forums in which uh, consumers can post legal questions and lawyers can answer them. Uh, Avo is one of these. Uh, LinkedIn has the same feature, and uh, lawyers are reluctant to answer questions uh, because they have the sense that if they do that, they're going to be seen as giving legal advice and perhaps uh, actually entering into an attorney client relationship. Uh, and, you know, I think it's important uh, that lawyers understand that they need to uh, disavow in their answers that they are doing that. They need to be uh, generic, uh, not get fact specific in their answers. It, it's okay to educate. The public about the law, you just can't give uh, fact-specific legal advice. Uh, The the ABA 2020 Commission has actually recommended changing the uh, model rules in in a way that – in order for there to be an attorney-client relationship uh, form, the client would have had to have had a reasonable expectation. The lawyer would have had to have given the client a reasonable expectation uh, that he or she was looking to form an attorney-client relationship. Uh,
1: Well, I'm going to give you the, 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 because we're running out of time, you get to pick the last one that uh, we're going to chat about and um, uh, go for it. Uh,
5: Well, you know, so much of this uh is comes down to really the idea that a lawyer so much of the model rules in general are based on the idea that you, you, a lawyer should never make false or misleading statements. Uh, if lawyers are honest and straightforward uh, in what they do and say about their practices and about themselves uh, and the content that they put online, and remember not to, not to talk about their clients in too great a detail, uh, it comes back to what I started with, which is uh, use common sense and you won't get in trouble online.
1: And as, as we used to say in the old print days, don't tell a reporter anything you don't want to read on the front page of the New York Times. Uh, you've updated it by saying, uh, if you don't want to read it on the front page of the New York Times, don't post it online. Um, if you would like to read the rest of Bob's fabulous article, again, you can find it at www.lawtechnologynews.com in our current issue box. And we are way out of time, so thank you, uh, Legal Talk Network, for letting us go a little long today. Um, I want to give a special shout out to the Boston team of Luann Reeb, Michael Huckman, and Kate Kenny. Here in New York, my colleague David Jasper, and uh, remind everyone to please visit our wonderful sponsors' websites: AppRiver at AppRiver.com and PC Law by LexisNexis at PCLaw.com dash radio and remind you we are in the heart of the summer and our tagline remains the same remember there is no crying in baseball or technology i'm monica bay and we will see you in september
0: the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by legal talk network It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.